0: Hello, and welcome to Conspiracy Games and Counter Games, season two of the Order of Unmanageable Risks, a podcast about capitalism and its anxieties. My name is Arius komporosos Afanasiu, and I'm an Associate Professor of Sociology at University College London. And I'm Adam Kingsmith, a PhD candidate in the Department of Politics at York University. This season, our podcast is dedicated to going beyond the headlines and the easy answers and exploring the rise of conspiracies, conspiracy theories, and conspiratorial thinking in a gamified capitalist world. This episode features a conversation with Brian Van Slyke of Chicago's Tease S.A. Collective of Radical Game Makers. It was recorded on July 22nd as part of the Conspiracies and Counter Games Summer Institute, organized by this project and RIVAL, the Reimagining Value Action Lab. We now turn it over to the Institute's host, Max Haven, Canada Research Chair in Culture, Media and Social Justice at Lakehead University. It's a great honour today to be joined by uh, Brian Van Slyke from the TISA Collective, which is a worker-owned cooperative. Um, They produce educational materials for social movements and non-governmental organisations to help them train to be better activists and organisers and to mobilise their members and supporters. Uh, towards campaigns for social and racial and economic justice. Uh, they also produce tabletop games, uh, which uh, we're going to learn about today. Uh, the mo- their most recent game is called Strike, the game of worker rebellion. And it builds upon a long legacy over the last 10 years, uh, including other games such as Space Cats Fight Fascism, Rise Up, the game of people and power, and Coopoly, the game of cooperatives. Brian, thank you so much for joining us. And there they are.
1: I just had to do a little show and tell, right? Um, yes, no, thanks for having me. Um, I'm really excited to, to speak with all y'all.
0: Wonderful. Uh, Brian's is a, a co-founder of the TISA Collective, uh, which is 10 years old now, uh, and they're head of games and gamification and their lead designer. And uh, he comes to it from an activist background. So it's really wonderful to talk with you. Um, I wanted to begin with you, Brian, by just asking you to tell us about the origins of the TISA Collective and why games? What motivated you to choose games as a way of um, involving and contributing to sort of social struggles in this moment?
1: Yeah. I'd be happy to do so. Um, great question. And um, I will try to make a long story short. Um, but um, so uh, I, uh, before I co-founded Tessa, um I was doing uh, sort of working with alternative education, both in um, uh, organizing settings, but I also was working with um, uh, youth who had either been um, expelled um from school or dropped out or uh, some homeschoolers and that kind of stuff or you know for various for various reasons and I was um uh, before I was doing Tessa I ran a uh of course I ran a punk rock record label um and I um at that school was um or not it wasn't even a school it was a, a learning center because nothing was mandatory um, I was very easy. It was very easy for me to get the students to attend things to do with music and, and that kind of stuff. But when I wanted to um, get the students to, or the teenagers, I should say again, cause it wasn't a school, um, to, um, come to things about like classes I was running on U S history and controversies in U S history and that kind of stuff. Um, no one, no one would show up, um, again, cause it wasn't mandatory as for people who are not in the school system. And, um, so one day I was like, you know what? Um, I love playing board games. What if I just made a board game about, you know, some of these things I want want them um, to engage in? And so I started using board games through the classes that uh, to get students to come to that I wasn't previously able to get them to come to, and it was a huge it was a huge draw. Um, and so that's how I started using games as a and gamification as a way to do sort of. Um, alternative forms of education. And then when we started Tessa, uh, originally our goal was, you know, we were developing educational tools, programs, resources for um, nonprofits, uh, the cooperative movement, alternative economics, that kind of stuff. And um, uh, the very first thing, one of the very first things we did was we put out a game, um, just sort of like as a side project um, and became um, sort of huge, it was called Coopoly. Um uh, and it sort of became a big thing of what we were doing. People were asking us for it, and we we're selling it. We and we decided, like, hey, you know, let's let's uh, let's make another game. Uh, let's like this is maybe something we could do. Um and uh, we at the time we went to a event in New York City, um and we brought a prototype of Coopoly. And there was this uh, protest happening. Um, it was a small little protest uh, called Occupy Wall Street. Um, and um, we went over there and, and some people there were like, hey, you should make a game about movement building. And we are like, whoa, that's a great idea. And um, it took a few years after that, but then was our second game, uh, Rise Up, the game of people in power. Um, and then from that moment on, we've started to just get more serious about publishing games, working with organizations to publish games. So sometimes we'll publish games in-house. But so, uh, so we've also, we still do all our work, the other work I described, but we're also now just a straight up um, radical game publisher. So uh, I said I'd make a long story short. I maybe made it medium short or medium long. I don't know, whatever. Perfect. Right, that's
0: Perfect. That. And I just want to encourage our uh, viewers and listeners to visit your website, which is Tessa Collective, T-E-S-A Collective that's without any punctuation or anything like that, TESACollective.com, yes. uh, where they can check out the whole catalog of games and also some of your really interesting collaborations with NGOs and activist groups as well. Yep. Um, what kind of tradition did you build on to do this? I mean, uh, the idea of using games as a tool for social justice will seem new to a lot of people, but where? what were your inspirations? Well, yeah, so
1: it's funny. It does seem new, but it's actually... Um, games as a form of social justice or advocacy or whatever sort of has a long history. Um, and then I'll but I, more more recently, I would say in the past 100, 150 years, there's some really cool examples. The one you most people probably know about, but will not know it's an example is Monopoly. Um, so I don't know if you're familiar, if you all are familiar with the history of Monopoly, um, but, um, the woman who originally created Monopoly, um, Elizabeth J. Maggie, um, she created it as a game to protest, um, wealth consolidation, um, to protest the sort of economic system of, you know, certain people owning land and others not. And I, she wasn't like, I wouldn't say she was a. I think at the time she was called a Georgian, uh, but, uh, more closer to socialist than capitalist, I'll say at least, um, And um, uh, uh, she so like the reason you collect $200 when you pass go originally in her version of it was uh, because all of your labor upon Mother Earth. Um, And there was actually even so um, there's even a version of the game she had where like halfway through you flip the board over and you started cooperating and working together to redistribute wealth and that kind of stuff. Um, It eventually was uh, it was a huge uh, hit in the um, uh, during the great depression and uh, sort of underground sense people would make their own copies in their homes and that kind of stuff. And then this dude named Charles Darrow stole um, uh, sort of stole it and credited it to himself and stole it, uh, sold it to Parker brothers, I believe. And they have since then credited it to him. But the point being it was actually um, being used as an underground tool um, to like reach people about this idea of, um, of uh, wealth inequality, land consolidation, that kind of stuff. But that's not the only example. Um, uh, um, in the 1910s, I believe, in Great Britain, there was this uh, um, group of uh, women whose, uh, their, their group name I'm forgetting right now, but um, they were, it was a suffragette movement um, and they made a game called suffragetto. Um and it was the idea was um so it the that's a combination of the name uh, suffragette and jujitsu which was a like big thing in the suffragette movement at the time for learning self defense and literally in the game sort of like ch- a version of chess or checkers but one um group of uh, people would take on um play as play as the women fighting in the streets for the right to vote and the other would play as the police trying to capture them um. And uh, you would battle it out, and the women would be trying to take over. I think Parliament. I totally, I don't remember exactly, but if they did, they took it over and got made a speech on the floor of Parliament for their right to vote and that kind of stuff. Um, so there's other examples um, in the in the 1970s. There was this game called uh, ooh, I think my copy is downstairs um, called Class Struggle. Um, right. Um, Yes, thanks. someone someone mentioned there are free uh, print and play copies of Suffragetto online, so you can if you want to play it. Uh, thanks for pointing that out. Um, in the 1970s, there's this game called uh, Class Struggle, um, made by a Marxist historian. There's uh, it, actually, I know there's some people who are working on updating it right now. It um, definitely need, it needs some updates in terms of like some of the both, I would say, gameplay but content as well. Um, but the point, it was actually this huge hit um, and uh, it's uh, uh, you sort of go like one player plays as the capitalists or a certain group of players plays the capitalists and a certain group of players play as workers. And you're trying to like, you know, the workers are trying to liberate themselves and the capitalists are trying to start nuclear war. I don't know. It's a little tongue in cheek, but uh, it, it's fun. But it it, it actually was a huge, huge hit, which is quite funny. It was like, I mean. I think it sold hundreds of thousands of copies, which for Mm -hmm. a board game of even today's standards would be a huge success. Um, uh, And the guy who made it is still around. Um, His name is Bertel Ullman. Uh, um, But uh, there's a group uh, working on doing new, a new version of it. Um, uh, And speaking with them. So anyways, there's this, uh, there's this history of that we're like, you know, I think when I, tell people, hey, we make radical social justice games. They're like, that's new. And I'm like, it's not, actually. You know, <laughs> we're, we're standing on this. History. And then other people are doing it these days, too. You know, with Kickstarter, social media, there's so many, like, you know, I just bought this game um, from this publisher in the UK called Disarm the Base. And it's a game about taking huh. direct action to stop a military base. Uh, so, um, uh so but there's also cool history of not this not just in board games and some uh video games as well um one of my favorite examples is uh the creator of sonic the hedgehog whose name i'm forgetting right now said that the original version like sonic the hedgehog when it first came out it was a, a critique of um of environmental destruction and how the human character was like destroying everything and you were trying to stop them and uh, dah, 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 dah. uh, but you couldn't really say anything about environmentalism in the nineties. So it was a real subtle, like, <laughs> so I'll stop there, but yeah, so that's the history we're sort of building off of.
0: Thanks. No, that's, that's a wonderful, uh, encapsulated history there. And I wanted to bring up, um, something about Bertel Ullman the the creator oh. of Class Struggle that game yeah. yeah he he wrote a book about his adventures creating it called uh that goes that has the title Ballbuster, which I always thought was a weird title that's but... a, weird title. <laughs> a weird title but <laughs> he's, it's basically he's a he's it
1: strange like, dude but I mean so am I, I so whatever but yeah <laughs>
0: um the book is a really funny uh quite I think quite honest uh assessment of what happens when you go from being like a revolutionary Marxist to an Game entrepreneur.
1: Yeah, Um, that's interesting.
0: But one of the interesting things about Ullman's work is he's like best known in academic circles for being one of the sort of later 20th century's most sort of comprehensive theorists of the Marxist concept of alienation, which, you know, in a nutshell is the can name a couple of things. I mean, it, it it can name on the one hand, the way that workers get alienated from their labor because they're forced mm-hmm. to work together in horrible, exploitative circumstances where they have really no control over what they do mm-hmm. and the things that they make are taken from them. But mm-hmm. then it also ties into the experience, the more general experience of alienation of many people in a modern society and a modern capitalist mm-hmm. society where you feel lonely and bored and isolated and mm-hmm. kind of like an alien, <laughs> you know, to, yeah. to take the specific and I guess I wanted to uh, take the opportunity to maybe ask you a little bit about how why games are so important in confronting this sense of alienation and and how I think you know over the last few years board games have become such a large part of especially maybe during the pandemic in some ways of how people come together and experience reality differently
1: yeah oh that's a well oh, that's an interesting question um yeah I mean uh that's definitely an interesting question within the context of um of the pandemic uh because i think a lot of us have uh, a lot of people have experienced alienation uh, alienation in a way that's um uh, quite unlike anything else we have gone through um but um and it's interesting in the board game world it's it, it over this past little bit with the pandemic um uh uh, i've i've seen that some people who used to play games all the time stopped because it was always with other people but then there's a whole new huge swath of people who never really played board games but were playing them tons now because they with their roommates or you know family or whatever and um so sort of an interesting flip um but yeah i mean in general um one of the things that i think that's great about board games uh is, in the sense of alienation is that um you know it's about being in, literally it's about being in person and yes there are websites and i've played them where you can play game board games against people online tabletop simulator board game arena dah, 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 dah. but i think the essence of what drives it is this idea of being being together and playing playing a game um with someone else, uh, or, or more. Um, and, uh, taking that a step further, there's, you know, a growing trend of, um, games about, uh, or cooperative games. So games where players are on the same team. Um, so if you look at sort of the OG, um, uh, uh popular, um, a cooperative board game which is ironically pandemic um, you know you're working to solve a problem together and I'm not trying to assert cooperative games are better than competitive games I actually quite fond I, I like both types and I think they all serve their different purposes but um, you know if we're in the context of you know workers and Alienation and cooperative games, one of the games that we've put out most recently is strike the game worker rebellion, which is a cooperative board game, where you're sort of working um, together to it's sort of a we took a little bit of a sci fi edge with this one. So it's set in this um, near dystopian future where this company called Happy Corp is trying to take over your city and turn everybody into happy employees. uh, And, um, and you're sort of working together to Try to rebel and kick out, um, and make it so your entire city isn't privatized and that kind of stuff. Um, so, but it's a it's a cooperative game, and each player has their own skill set that they're bringing to the table with their characters, and you know, strategizing together. Um, and so, I think, co- you know, in general, yes, games working together. Uh, uh, but uh, um, cooperative games, I think, have taken that that idea of like. Um, uh, uh, subverting alienation a step further and that's why we're seeing there's really this growing interest in cooperative games in general um so um i really like them um i again i don't think they're bet one way better than the other but i think they this level of being together in the same space rather than behind the screen um is is a key reason that like we're actually in the golden what, what they call the golden age of board games a lot of times you tell people oh, i publish board games they're like oh that's a quaint little thing And it's like no actually it's probably more popular now than it ever has been um so mm-hmm. anyways i'll stop rambling there i think that answered your question
0: <laughs> it, yeah no it does it's it's yeah. great yeah. um one of the things we're doing in the summer institute is uh, our participants are sort of dreaming of their own games as a way of intervening in a world cool. that's full of quite dangerous conspiracy fantasies Mm. and dreaming of games that could be used as educational platforms or platforms for solidarity. And I wonder if you could kind of walk us through maybe using the example of strike or another game you've produced, like what goes into that? Like, how does, how does a game like that germinate uh, in the first stage? And then how does it grow into something that is finally on someone's dining room table that, you know, and that they're playing?
1: yeah that's a good question and i'm just sort of be upfront and say there's no like one this is how it happens um route um so uh, you know one of the things that i uh um i some people start with a mechanic first mechanic being like a, a way that you play the game or the way the game works and some people work uh, start with theme first i'm a big theme first guy i don't mean that in a um uh, in a judgment sense, just in a process sense. Um, uh, uh, I, you know, okay. We're making a game about, uh, labor rights. What do we want to do? Oh, okay. We're making a game about, uh, fighting the rise of proto-fascism in this country. How do we want to do that? Oh, okay. Let's frame it as cats in space. be So it's not too depressing. Okay, great. Um, space cats. Oh, okay. Well, we're <laughs> space cats, so we can teleport, you know, and it goes on like that. Um, but um, what I do like to tell people is that the game you start off with, well, if it goes through rigorous enough of a playtesting process, it's probably going to be nothing like the game you end up with. Um, and the reason for that, like a lot of times people, I, people come to me and they're like, oh, I just got to figure out the math of the game. And it's like, nah, what? what y- yes, but games are about the social experience at the table, right? They're about like, you know, if you are making a game about gardening, you want the people to feel like they're gardening in some sense. And some, even if it's just like a scoring, whatever, um, uh, uh, you want people to feel like, you know, I take an action. The reason I roll the dice for some reason, rolling the dice indicates what does it indicate? Okay. Uh, what rainfall this year or what is whatever. But, um, so to me marrying those mechanics and game uh, 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 sorry marrying those uh, mechanics and um, theme are super important. So was, a lot of it is starting about just like coming up with a bunch of ideas. I really recommend finding games that you already like mm-hmm. and you, and then trying to build off of there. you don't be worried about like ripping games so every, game is an extension of another game that exists somehow. And yes, there's the occasional, oh, we've never seen this before, but don't worry about that. Like, you know, there's there's specific game mechanics called like worker placement games or, you know, memory. Just find a game you like already. If this is your first time making a game and think about how could I adapt this model to what I want to do? And there's so many games out there that are like, oh, yeah, this is like this game, but with this boom. And people are like, great, that's fun. so, but there's a prototyping, you know, make a game. Just really, like, knock it out. Don't worry about too much about, um, oh, I've got to get this thing figured out. Just make something and play it and see what you like and don't like. Maybe you can only play it for five minutes. That's fine. But it's about play testing. you know, going through a process of, uh, of reiterating, of uh, playtesting again, reiterating, tearing down, building back up, you know, I would say like, you know, the phrase of kill your darlings in terms of like, if there's something that's like, you're like, oh, this is so important to my game, but no one likes it. Well, then I don't think it's that important to your game. Right. (laughs) Um, So, um, and I say that it's, that's easier said than done. Um, But yeah, it's a lot of play testing, a lot of like. um, uh, 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 Trial by error, by error, by error, by error, and then fixing um, and going back and getting people's opinions. But knowing what you want. Um, uh, so I see maybe there's a question on the side. I want to. Uh,
0: there is there's is, I'll, I'll relay it in a minute. I just okay. want to follow up quickly on what you were saying, um, because, you know, when you're in your describing it, you it sounds a lot like um, it sounds a lot like writing. I mean, it sounds a lot like the way that people encounter creative uh, yeah. fiction or nonfiction writing. And then, you know, it it speaks to the importance also of having many readers, you know, like, I think like, like a lot of writers think that they need to get the thing perfect in their head or, you know, in their own drafting before they share it. So just like making sure that the game goes out and the piece of writing goes out to many, many readers and expecting that by the time you're done drafting it, you're maybe like a third or halfway through. But I also wanted to stress the, um, the importance of the editor. And, you know, having mm. someone who who takes, I mean, if you're a writer, someone who yep. takes your work and helps you take get a new light on it, revise it. And I wanted to ask you about, you know, the role that you folks have taken on in Tessa um, of also working with people who are designing games and, yeah. and kind of in some ways acting as editors. Uh, and yep. yeah, what's that like?
1: Well, that's a, it's a good question. Yeah. Um... And actually, it's a good question, one of which I've learned an answer for recently. Um, but I'll share. but um, starting with, yeah, so... Um, here's um, so this is a game we built called Water for Tomorrow, which is a game we teamed up with um, uh, the Nature Conservancy um, to do. And it's a game about collective water access, fighting with water pollution, and that kind of stuff. And, and they came to us with an idea um of and it, I love working with them and we're actually um soon going to be making a this was for their this was for internal purposes but we're soon going to be working with them to make a um uh, a public facing version of it but mm-hmm. um they came to me and um or us I should say um and uh, you know like they had been working on the game and it wasn't working and you know and, and part of it was because they were too close to the content right mm-hmm. like they and you know they were too um, uh, you know an example they were like I, I came up with a way that something could work in the game and they're like well water doesn't actually flow like that and I was like is that really important for the lesson that we're trying to get across here of water like collective water management and they're like I guess not and I was like cool And let's cut it. So let's not worry about it because there is a difference. And I think this is important between a game and a simulation. And I think Mm -hmm. this is one of the hardest things for people to, um, who are really close or passionate about something, understandably so to, to let go um, is that, uh, um, you know, a game is, will take liberties with reality. Um, It'll be, it's more fun. You know, it, it it might not touch on a sub whatever. And a simulation is, You're going to, you're going from A to B to C to D. And this is, it's, that's how you get there. And a game is, will, you know, just uh, going back to Monopoly, like that's not actually how real estate works. But like, no one, when people play it, they're not like, well, this isn't how real estate works, you know, whatever. Bad example, but still, um, uh, it's an example. Um, And uh, so one of those things, part of editing Mm -hmm. is being able to understand, uh, uh, it, it, honest if you're making a game about a subject is knowing you know what things are important and what things are okay to leave out so one of the things I like to say with games is that you know games are good for allowing people to immerse themselves in subjects they're good for allowing people to see themselves as actors as agents but it's not about like uh, information transfer. It's not like, ah, suddenly I know the capital of every country or whatever, you know, it's not about, um, the, the bank, the banking model of here's this information now keep it. It's the, um, it's experiential It's seeing yourself, um, in a role, creating these sort of memories that last. Um, and it's more about engaging with the theme. Um, and so that's one of the big like editing points that I think, Mm -hmm. uh, people get stuck on. Mm -hmm. um, but then I also one thing I want to express and you know, I've, I've sort of really taken heart recently is like you don't have to do everything alone uh, with games and that like, um, you know, there are lots of people out there who want to design games who you can say like, hey, can you take like a week and sit with the game and let me know your thoughts and like uh, come back to me and we can workshop it and you'll have ideas that I hadn't even thought of before. Um, cause sometimes you can really get stuck in your own head with games, um, and trying to make one, uh, and getting stuck in your own head is like, it's just with it is just the worst because then you, you can't see the forest for the trees. Um, mm-hmm. so I really encourage people to just like, if you're stuck, just have conversations with other people, like even describe what you're, you're going through and just having that opportunity to have that conversation with someone and be like, well, have you tried this? Even if it's not a good idea, Um, That ability to express to someone else what you're struggling with um, is better than just getting like having it stuck in your head. So I I don't know if I sorry if I rambled there, but
0: no, uh, no, it was was excellent. Excellent. I want to just um, shout out to the folks here in the Zoom room that uh, I'll, I'll start opening it up for your questions and relaying them. Uh, to Brian uh, in the next few minutes, and if you want to type them in the chat, you're welcome to. If you want to appear here in the Zoom room, uh, just raise your hand uh, using the reactions tab, and I'll I'll call on you, and you can unmute and uh, turn on your video. Um, Andrew posted a really interesting question, uh, going back to our discussion earlier about cooperative games and uh, he was he was wondering about this trend in cooperative games to have the cooperative game with the sort of secret double agent, uh, mm. the, the the secret betrayer in them, which has become a really popular mechanic yeah. uh, for a lot of games. And I wonders if that in some way is, I, I guess has a kind of political valence to it uh, in our moment. <laughs>
1: Yeah, it's interesting. I, I don't know that I would tend to say like it's a step away from, I mean, I, I think the it could depending on the game but um, I, I think also just some people, fly, like, and this is just like a preference thing that some people just flat out like don't want to play just co-op games and they want to, Yeah, and maybe this is because the culture we live, raised in or whatever but like, you know, want an edge of com- competition and I don't think that there's anything inherently wrong with that um, I think I I love competitive games too. Um, right. Um, and, um, so I don't know if, uh, it's a step away from it. If it's a way to get more people to play games, then I would say, Hey, it's still a step towards it. Um, Mm -hmm. and you know, you can even, um, I I could imagine that there's like a game where you know, for a long time, we have wanted to make a game about like whistleblowers or someone like trying to, you know, like the Pentagon Papers or something like that. Right. But, um, you know, I can imagine like all these players are uh, all like all but one player are people trying to do the whistleblowing and one person is the person trying to reveal uh, And that doesn't mean like, oh, it's now a counter or whatever. It's just like the game fu- functionally needs someone to take on that role. Mm-hmm. Um and just putting it within the context of like cooperative games, to me, I, this is not always true for everyone. In, even though I primarily design cooperative games, cooperative games are harder to design because you have to have an AI system that that re- reacts to players uh, or not it reacts or just goes on its own or whatever. A, a good cooperative game scales um, and complexity and, and challenge and that kind of stuff. And it has to function on its own. Whereas you might be like, I think that's maybe too complex. And so it's not just a matter of the gameplay, but I think also like your experience as a, uh, a designer and then also like the other people at the table. So I don't know if that was a satisfying answer. I apologize if it wasn't, but um, I just, I don't know that it's totally that. Uh, uh, I, so I would say yes hmm. and maybe not.
0: <laughs> yeah. Um, so sorry. Yeah. No, no, that's, um, that's great. Uh, there's a kind of um, follow-up question which I think is really interesting, which is you know there's you were talking about uh, the game that you were designing with uh, around water, and that being for an audience who I, I'm supposing you already know are probably going to play it. like they're gonna integrate that game into their yep. into their operations, into their training, into their yep. internal membership cultivation. And so yep. you have a you have a ready- made player base, but um, we have a question about, What happens when you're trying to uh, design games for people whom you want to, whom you want to politicize, whom you want to share a political message with, but who are not going to be automatically attracted to your game? Uh, You know, if they, if they are just randos on the the street who happen to see it in the board game window. Yeah. What, what goes through your mind as a designer when you're trying to create something that is going to appeal to a larger sort of public
1: there's a game called Spirit Island, which I could wish I could show. OK, it's a game where you are basically trying to kill the colonizers of the island. So basically, like the island is you could think of like the the the. it's a cooperative game and the game itself is playing some level of Catan or something like that. And you as the players are trying to. Um, decolonize the island. Um, that's a mass market game. It's like one of the most popular games out there right now. And the 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 game designer in the background says um, in the in the back says, you know, this is a direct response to. Ah, thank you. Yeah, is a direct response to um, uh, you know all these Euro games that are about colonizing and islands, but really abstract that or like or or in worst case scenarios don't um and uh uh, and that kind of stuff so um it's a super complex game so if you're not like a heavy game player I honestly would not recommend it but uh if you are a heavy gamer I, I I do recommend it um but um you know we sort of took a similar approach with um strike in that um it's really set in this uh, as you can see like you know set in this like dystopian cyberpunkish uh future and you know the 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 bad guys are the um are the drones from the corporation and that kind of stuff and the idea here is like this is a culture change initiative like we want someone to be like oh shit that looks off you know that was like a sci-fi movie i'd want to play right and then you know so it's not quite as but it is um so i mean there's ways of adding subtlety or subversion um, i put out this game um, a few years back um, totally different called good dog bad zombie um, and we don't say anywhere but through the artwork and if you start to pick it up and we noticed some some reviewers did it was like oh all the all the all the or all the zombies are coming out of this tower that looks like a trump tower oh okay like oh why are all the zombies in business suits and then uh you know and so Mm -hmm. uh you know subtly put some of that stuff in there so there's a level of like you can make a game specifically for a rad audience or you could try to pull some people in but I uh, am not someone who thinks necessarily preaching to the choir is a bad thing. Sometimes the choir needs a tune up. Also, sometimes the choir needs entertainment like, you know uh, you know, so I don't know that like um, I don't know that you're, someone's going to play a game necessarily and be like, aha, now I believe in workers' rights, but um, uh, you know, it's, it can be part of normalizing things and that kind of stuff and also like give People who are possibly on the edge, a new way to think about stuff, and we've, we've heard that like, mm. heard um, parents write to you know, Cooply is less of a gamer game and it's more of a simple, but we've had parents write to us and be like, Yo, like my kids usually hate playing games together, but uh, Cooply, which is a cooperative game, they love, and because they're working together on the same team, and it's like uh da da, da 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 so and like i they're like realized we don't have to play monopoly with them anymore and that kind of stuff so um yeah i'll stop there hopefully that answered Great. your question
0: it does it does um there's a pair of other questions um from our from our participants that i wanted to relay to you from from casey and from julia which i think fit together really well casey asks um like how do you know if a game works in its, in its kind of political ambitions. I mean, you, you know, by the time it's done playtesting and you want to release it, that it maybe works mechanically, but how do you know it works as politically? And then Julia kind of follows up on that and asks um, like, do you, do you gather data on players? Do you do surveys? Do you, and do you know about who your players are in some way? Like, what do you think about, you know, age, gender, class, social status, et cetera, et cetera. Um, no,
1: I don't collect data on the I, I mean, it totally you can and it, I, I don't. Um, it's not um, useful for us in terms of like if someone liked or didn't like or if they learned something or not. You know, we when we're putting out games, I mean, it depends on the game. I should actually caveat that because if I'm making a game for Water for Water for Tomorrow for the Nature Conservancy and they want to know if someone learned X afterwards, then yes. But if it's a game like Space Cats Fight Fascism, that's a game that we're putting out to the market and um, that's a game we want. So I'm not necessarily saying, like, I hope someone learned methods for fighting fascism in this game. I am saying I hope people like enjoyed the subject and enjoyed the game uh, while they uh, they played it and had a way to think about something. Um, think about the subject. Um so I'm, I mean, I, I know that's like maybe not whatever, but like, I'm not, I'm not super just like time-wise. I don't have time to collect that data. And I don't know what I would do with it if I did, uh, <laughs> because it's, uh, we are, you know, we are a worker owned cooperative, um, which means like we earn our revenue from sales of our games and our services. And then we're not like doing any studies or anything like here about the impacts of our, of our materials. Well, the way I measure success with that is like, are more, are people continuing to come back and buy more copies? Uh, you know, we just did a mm-hmm. second print run of uh, space cats fight fascism, which means I know enough word of mouth. People are happy, excited, want more because we ran out and there was demand for more. So we're doing that. Mm-hmm. Um Cooply's on its, it's about to be on its fourth print run after 10 years um, and that kind of stuff. So, um, so yeah, I know that's like, maybe not the like, the yay answer but that's the, that's the answer that it is for me and us um and uh uh thank you for that softball question i see um but uh uh sorry the other um what was the other part of that i'm so sorry i forgot um or did i answer it and just say i'm not Wait, good i
0: think, at it? I think but, you did uh, um And I, but I wanted to follow up and open it up onto a a bit of a different dimension, which is that I think what I, one of the things I've noticed about your games, um, especially, but not exclusively in the visual design, um, is that it's, it's quite clear that you're trying to open up tabletop gaming to groups that have for a long time been quite excluded from tabletop gaming with, you know, tabletop gaming. Uh, Unfortunately, perhaps because of the incredibly oversized influence of the German board game industry has tended to see as its main market, young white man. Um, Mm -hmm. And your games are, of course, about struggles for social justice. You're, you know, based in the United States, which is a highly diverse society. And and so a lot of the characters in your games and the themes in your games are about fighting racism and fighting Mm -hmm. sexism and fighting homophobia and transphobia. And I just wondered if you could talk a little bit about that, both in terms of how you include that in the sort of the design, like the visual design of the game, but also then like how does that factor into then the actual design and mechanics of the game as well?
1: Yeah, totally. Um, it does. It's a, um, it's a great question. Um, it does. I mean, we, I, uh, I do caveat with the saying like we can't do everything in a game because A, it's a game and B, you know, Um, if if there was a, like a special rule for every single thing, then, you know, the game wouldn't be playable. Um, with that being said, we do particularly think about that in a few ways in our game. One is just representation. Um, you know, if you go, um, I think there was a study done not too long ago, like the top board games are more likely to have a picture of a bird on them than a picture of a person of color. Um, you know, uh, which is, and, and so we purposefully, you know, and intentionally, um, have diverse representations of people, um, uh, uh, in not just the covers, but in the gameplay, the characters you choose to play as the da-da-da, you know, we tr- mm-hmm. I, I try to, um, yeah, uh, you know, that, uh, uh, and then the other thing is, yeah, um, in terms of gameplay, one of the things we were th- like, for example, one of the things that we we're thinking about when we originally made Space Cats Fight Fascism is um, we were thinking, okay, should this be a competitive game or a cooperative game or da da da? And then we realized if it's a competitive game, that implies that someone's gonna play as the fascist. And I, no, no thinking way am I doing that. Um, and so, and I know there are games out there, right? There's games like Secret Hitler and whatever, but like, I don't have any, any, any interest in, in like allowing someone to indulge in, um, that fantasy, because I think that some people will like mean it. Um, and I don't, um, and I don't, yeah, that's, I'm not making a game for that. Um, so that affects things like the game. Yeah. The gameplay, but like what we put in, um, how we represent people, You know, uh, um, there's not again, games are a little bit take we take liberties with reality and like, oh, in the real world, X would happen, then Y would happen It's like, cool, we're just I'm just you can move your piece from here to here. Don't worry about it. Um, So, uh, um, yes, uh, to make a long story short, I I don't want to take up too much of the time with rambling. So did I did I answer that question?
0: Yeah, you did. Okay. And before I go back to the questions from our from our institute folks I wanted to come back to a question I had for you which ties to ties to our research and to kind of the thematics of the um, of the institute which is like you were mentioning that you don't want to set, set up a situation um, where you you have people play fascists because some people will take it seriously and yeah we seem to be in a strange age where uh games and gaming culture can get really dark really quickly and then start to explode into the into the real world i mean mm-hmm. we've in this in the in the class around which this institute's based we've been looking a little bit at the kind of um way that the kind of um gross misogynistic gaming culture transmuted itself into the gamergate uh sort of harassment campaign and then the way the gamergate Community, if you can even call it a community, morphed into some of the elements that would lead to, for instance, like the QAnon uh, conspiracy fantasy. And we've been studying, me and my colleagues have especially been studying the way that this, like something like QAnon, can only really emerge in a world that's already semi gamified by capitalism. Mm -hmm. That, you know, we have all of these companies all over the place that are trying to draw upon games and gameplay as a way of selling products or Mm -hmm. selling ideologies. Um, And Mm -hmm. so in a way that, you know, even something like the horrific siege on the Capitol on uh, January 6th, for many of the people who participated in it, when you like listen to what they say, they they kind of thought they were playing a game, a very Mm -hmm. dangerous game with incredibly Mm -hmm. dire consequences. Mm -hmm. But there was a sense that I, I think for a lot of the, far-right neo-fascist folks out there there's a kind of strange game-like quality to it I guess where yeah. I'm, I'm I'm trying to land on a question here which is like what does it mean to be a social justice racial justice economic justice game designer in an age when games seem kind of out of control
1: well I mean I don't think that's limited to games it's every form of media right and so um I uh You know, when Space Cats Fight Fascism first came out, um, which was, uh, oh, God, I don't remember. Some years ago uh, now, uh, at some point during Trump, uh, I think. uh, Pandemic. It it was um, pre-pandemic. But, um, you know, we were... I was getting attacks from literal Nazis, you know, you know, saying that they were going to gas us, and you know, like you, know, and then or writing why you know Nazis were misunderstood and da 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 and all this stuff. And um, I was like, ah, I was like, oh, okay, thanks, thanks, appreciate it. Uh, but um, I. Uh, and, and for a while I was engaging with that. Like I was, I was like trying to do that thing. I was fighting back. And then I was like, you know, fuck them. Excuse me. I don't know if I could say that on here, but I was just like, I don't, um, they're not my crowd and they are, they are taking energy and effort away from the people I do want to talk to. And so I'm going to let them say their things. I'm going to block them. I'm going to, you know, mute them. I'm going to whatever, um and then you you know they they go do their thing and i, I you know uh, me as a i i put myself front and center of that because i'm a i'm a in in the collective i'm a white dude i less i have the least amount of threats to receive uh to have actualization from those threats i suppose um But then the the answer was just like, not going to engage. So, yeah, there's there's these fascists everywhere in every piece of media um, these days. And and I don't know that it's um, exclusive to games. Um, uh, And I think that there is really is a growing number of people who are making games about changing the world. um, And we're reaching we're doing a better job of reaching each other. Um, I don't know that I subscribe to the belief that like everyone has to, if you make a game about an issue, everyone will have to want to like someone who is against it should, if they play it, they're now a convert. Like, you know, that's, that's not necessarily your game's responsibility. Mm -hmm. Um, so if it is, if, if the game's effort is to convert someone, then okay, one, that's one thing, but, um, uh, yeah. So, um, that's,
0: that's me. That's my thought. So. Mm-hmm. yeah that's great it's great yeah um yeah. i want to turn back to our um our institute guests uh and participants and, sure. and relay a question about which is admittedly casey says a softball question about ethical manufacturing sure um and i think that's a really fascinating question because often we talk about and think about games purely in terms of their concept mm-hmm. uh but they're actually physical things board yep. games at least i yep. mean video games too are actual physical things in the world yep. they take designers and computing power, but board games especially are things that have to be manufactured by someone, they have to be printed, they have to be developed. Uh, What is ethical manufacturing and why is it important?
1: It's a good question. Um, I think um, I I wanna say this while saying I am not have, I don't have judgment towards those who are not following the same path because it's harder Um, and um, not everyone has the time energy financial ability to pursue it. But with that being said um, uh, for about 10 years uh, through trial and error and quite a bit of more error, um, you know, we uh, have been uh, trying to manufacture our games as ethically as possible. And by that, we mean, you know, where we know the labor conditions and in, in, if possible, unionized and um, cooperatively owned for a long time, we were exclusively doing that. I will say admittedly, it's not quite the case anymore, but we know, but they are all domestic and unionized, at at least I believe, Um, and using uh, sustainable materials, um, reducing the carbon footprint, um, all that good stuff. So I actually have a, uh, I think I saw, it was Casey. Yeah, we have a a blog post I wrote a couple of years ago about like, hey, if you want to manufacture your game, Uh, ethically sustainably you know here's how you can do it here's how we've been doing it and here's how you can do it and I so I try to write that up and um but uh it's actually interesting we're sort of at this inflection point where I don't know if anyone here has followed it at all but the freight shipping um -hmm. situation in the world is an absolute nightmare absolute nightmare right now um games are being delayed by over a year uh, um, uh, I've seen charts charts from other publishers where um, their freight shipping costs have gone up, I think, 300 times from when they started their manufacturing to when they were supposed to be shipping it. And that's because of COVID and um, like stuff, you know, um, all, this, all uh, this sort of feedback loop um, and it's getting worse. So it's actually, we're sort of seeing this sort of accidental people are starting to adopt our practices because they like don't have any other choice um but um to me for making a social justice board game um we've got to be uh talking the talk or we've got to be walking the walk if we're talking the talk you know i i'm not gonna make a game called strike the game of worker rebellion which is then published and produced in a sweatshop Mm -hmm. um and so we've done a lot of research in terms of people we're working with um and uh um uh, who who they are like knowing who they are, knowing who's there, knowing their like labor safety practices, da da da, all that kind of stuff. I want to say, admittedly, like um, there is no ethical consumption un- under capitalism. Like you know, there is there there are parts of the supply chain that are not cool. Like right, if if you purchase this game from me. Hey, this is gonna you paid a worker cooperative which paid you know unionized whatever dah, dah, dah. but you're also paying a um uh oil company to get it to you right uh the the truck that it goes on is powered by it. so you know it's not like we have pers- perfectly solved the um supply chain but what i do believe is that um we, anyone who's producing a game does have a a game, especially if it's on a subject about making the world a better place, has a responsibility um, to consider if they can follow a more ethical um, uh, 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 production model, even if that costs them a dollar or two more per unit. Um, I just, you know, it, it's it's it'll it's so much easier for you to say, oh, I'll just. You go with this company that does all their stuff, and they produce it somewhere I know nothing about, and da 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 da. da. And sure, certainly, uh, but if um, uh, I would say implore people to at least do the research to see, and and hopefully I've done actually done the research for you already. We've got a blog post on our website where you can read how you can do it. Um, but uh, yeah, I'll st- I'll get off my my um, um, uh,
0: soapbox on that. <laughs> It would be really funny to see a game about uh, ethical sourcing and ethical manufacturing because it's such a in some ways it's such a puzzle. It I, is. I, I've it never is. done it, but I know from folks who who've done supply chain work that it's
1: yeah, it's yeah. A real thing. Uh, and, and what we do is just admittedly it's not perfect, but it's mm-hmm. better. And, and then I think um, uh, and I think a lot more people are starting to follow our path. But um, um, you know, we live in a world where just you know yeah we live under capitalism and uh, not any and some things just literally cannot be produced in the United States also if like domestic sourcing is important for you um, so yeah it, it's it's a puzzle and my belief is like you know don't kick yourself if you can't if there's something you can't do even though you've tried and you've like that's okay um, like but you, what you can do is the best you can
0: so anyways. As we move towards the end of the discussion here, I want to ask you a kind of hypothetical and and slightly self-serving question, because it has to do with the kind of games that me and my colleagues are trying to think through, um, which is about like, we've talked here about games, like you were talking about preaching to the choir um, and and reaching out to people who are already kind of social justice oriented or creating games for organizations um, that that need a game in order to help them strategize and and build their capacities. And I'm interested also in the possibility of games as games that that um, target or speak to or try and convince, surreptitiously try and convince the opposite side. And here I've been thinking a lot about, uh, and I don't know if you've read the, the science fiction novel, The Three-Body Problem by... No. It's a chin. Yeah. In it, I mean, it's a very interesting novel. It's politically quite strange. It's being adapted by Netflix into what is assumed to be the most expensive televisual spectacle ever by the makers of Game of Thrones. Wow. <laughs> but wow. in that, one of the aspects of that is it has to do with aliens basically invading Earth. And one of the ways in which they make their way past Earth's defenses is by designing a game that is extremely seductive to the world's top scientists and strategic minds. And they use yeah. this game basically to recruit those people into uh against their better interests um sympathizing with the alien society and their efforts to basically take over earth and eradicate humans wow Um, which you know given what what humans under capitalism have done to the planet is maybe not a completely unsympathetic (laughs) approach um but i'm curious i i mean you i from what i've seen of what you folks have done uh that's not an approach you've taken but you know if you were to try and develop a game to, for instance, intervene in the kind of um, bad kind of radicalization of the far right, knowing that games tend to appeal to the people that the far right is trying to recruit, which is mostly disenchanted, alienated young white men. What, what kind of approach would you take? W- would that be a challenge you would take on? And, and if you would take it on, what would you, how would you do it?
1: Uh, it's interesting. Um, I mean, I don't think I would take it on. I mean, I, kudos to someone who does, but um, I, I think there's enough radical people out there who need their imaginations activated. I think there's enough like, um, I think there's enough people who, you know, on on the side of the spectrum who don't have games that like, and I I. I I'm not saying it's a bad thing. I'm just saying my personal where I what I want to do with my life, like I'm not interested in trying to cater to those people uh, who are radicalized on the right. And I'm more interested in producing ways for people to think about um, new things on our side, our side of the our side, whatever. Yeah, it's not not, you know, it's not that black and white, but um, but also getting the people who are maybe who are close but not quite there. Like, and that's one of the things Strike is supposed to do is supposed to be like, uh, have, a, be a game night game um, for anyone who's in, like, just want to play a game, a cooperative board game. And then in a cyberpunk setting, then like, oh, sweet, like workers, right? Like, okay, cool. Um, So how would you engage those people uh, who are on the far right, who've been taken in by QAnon and use a game possibly to bring them up? I mean, if you figured that out, I would please let me know um i like the, there, there's the ultimate like logistical question of how do you get them to play it if the like if the uh, uh if if the purpose is quite literally on the, like hey i want you to learn this game so you're no longer in q anon they're like like they're not gonna play it so then all right so then we're doing a subtle under the radar trying to get it in front of but then can it actually express, you know, so I don't know that that's a problem that I feel equipped nor necessarily interested in taking on because while I said the choir thing earlier, I, I think it's true that there's a lot of people whose imaginations on, who whose imaginations need to be activated, whether they're already, you know, uh, believe in cha- making the world a better place or or could be swayed that way. And those other folks, uh, you know, on, boy, I don't know. That's just like a...
0: Th- yeah. This is the challenge that me and my colleagues are working on and uh, we're going to reach out to you for your advice. It, uh, heck we, we heck we yeah. Both, out a way.
1: I I, <laughs> I would be happy to support that and I just do not want to lead it so I like that yeah.
0: It uh, is a bit like wading into a, a, a swamp. <laughs> yeah right. right. Um, a final question which is kind of maybe just to pick up on this question of the imagination which is you know like I think we've talked a lot about the role of games in this society, um, a society that's sort of plagued by inequality and injustice and alienation. Um, and, and where games in some ways offer us like a, a form of escapism, but also a way of like kind of a, a way of looking at a refracted image of our world, like a mm. way of reflecting on the, on the games that we're forced to play by a kind of unequal capitalist society mm. in our real life, so that when we play it in a board game, or another kind of game, we get a new perspective on it. Hmm. And my kind of imaginative weird question is like, what do you think? What do you think the role of games will be when we arrive at and create a different society? Like whether that's a socialist society or a a tamer capital, like whatever, whatever we think about a different society. But like, do you think that all of these games that have been designed for social justice now, are they just going to like sit in a museum? Uh, because they'll refer to a world that no longer exists, or do you think that they'll still have a relevance, or do you think we'll be playing very different games?
1: I think all. Uh, I, I think it could be all of the above. Um, I mean, you know, Suffragetteo is sitting in a museum right now. I would love to play Suffragetto. Um, I mean, it, not that the issue is resolved, but I mean, it's also the game is no longer uh, the gameplay is a bit out, is out of date, but. But um, but no, I mean like you uh you take a look at, I mean, just as an example of like World War II games. People like to play World War II game. We're not fighting World War II still. Um, right. So I could imagine, you know, yeah, if we do get somewhere, you know, somehow, uh, you know, I imagine people would still want to play strike or um then I I, you know there will always be conflicts in the, in the world we live in. Um, uh, uh, I don't imagine that um, there won't be a role for games to take that on. Um, I don't imagine that uh... now I do imagine that there's the game, like new games that come out, I would imagine would be very, hopefully in some respects, different. Um, Imagine that there would be a lot of games about, you know, with that have a more liberatory mindset that have a more like, you know, um, uh, uh, and, and I think this is where cooperative, a lot of cooperative games are coming in, but, um, again, I don't think it's exclusive to cooperative games, but about solving a problem rather than eradicating an enemy. Um, and I think traditionally that's the, um, games were eradicating an enemy or being number one. And I think, um, there's this great history, and foundation of games about solving issues collectively. Um, And at the same time, I still like games that are, you know, where we sometimes where we like, you know, fight, beat each other up in the game, whatever. Like uh, that's, that's okay. Like game, I don't think that there's, uh, as long as there's nothing exploitative racist, et cetera, in the game itself. um, Like if I, you know, we're playing a game about, Um, I just bought the jaws game um, and one player plays as a shark trying to eat the other, player. I mean, whatever, that's, that's okay. Um, So um, anyways, long, so long story short, I do think that there would be new, there would be a lot of new ways to play games. um, And I think people's mindsets would be different, but I don't think um, there would never be a use for games anymore. um, And in fact, like, the the whole point is games are games allow us to use our imagination and problem solving skills, and especially with cooperative games, we're making that collective problem solving. And so I could really see a sort of like rise in that. Um, so